You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, where anything goes if it makes you grow. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and this episode is focused on time. Time is much more valuable than money. You can use your time to make more money, but you can't use money to buy more time. Time is also a great equalizer. We all have the same 24 hours in the day, whether you're Elon Musk or a regular Joe Schmo. We use up these hours, one after the other, every day. And once time has passed, it's gone for good. People often say, I don't have time to, or I'm too busy to, exercise, or go on a vacation, or spend time with my friends, or start that side business I've always dreamed of. But what makes these people think they have less time than anyone else? We all have the same 24 hours in each day, and we make our own decisions about how we spend that time. Too many of us waste hours every day, and so this episode focuses on being mindful of our time and how we can work towards spending our time better on the things that matter most to us. Joining us on Yap today is Laura Vanderkam, author of several time management and productivity books. Her latest release, Off the Clock, Feel Less Busy While Getting More Done, hit shelves back in May. In her book, Laura uncovers principles on how to feel less stressed while getting more done through insights she learned studying 900 time diaries collected on a single March day. Laura's work has appeared in mainstream platforms like the New York Times and the Today Show. Her TED Talk, How to Gain Control of Your Free Time, has been viewed more than 5 million times. She's also the co-host of the podcast, Best of Both Worlds. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Laura. Hi, Laura. Thank you for joining us on Young and Profiting Podcast. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us a bit about your background and how you got into time management and some of the research that you've done in relation to that topic? Well, I wish there were a really good story of, you know, hitting rock bottom and realizing something and coming out of it. But, you know, it's nothing like that. I have always been interested in people's schedules. I worked as a journalist for many years. And so I got to interview lots of fascinating people about their lives. And I found that I was often asking them how they spent their time. And so, you know, it's really evolved out of that. But I think the thing that really draws me to time is that we all have the same amount of it. And so when you find people who are doing amazing things, both professionally and personally, it's not because they have any more time than anyone else. They may have other advantages that other people don't have, but they certainly do not have more time. And so I'm very fascinated by where their time goes. And my research has focused on that and and focused on having people actually track their time. Because another thing I've found is that people will tell you all sorts of stories about how they spend their time, and those may or may not be true. We all have our stories, but... uh, If you track it, you can get the data and then you can go from there. Can you talk about in particular what research you've done? So from my understanding, you tracked like 900 people. Yeah. So for Off the Clock, which is my most recent book, I had 900 people with full-time jobs and families. uh, So very busy people track their time for a day. And then I asked them questions about how they felt about their time. 13 questions that were on a seven point scale and strongly disagreed, strongly agree. So I could get a, a score that gave a sense of how much sort of time abundance they felt they had, you know, if they had time for the things they wanted to do, if they felt like they were present, spending their time in ways that made them happy, relaxed about their time. So I could compare the schedules of people who felt relaxed about their time with people who felt starved for time. And again, these are all equivalently busy people. So what are they doing differently with their time um, that makes some people feel like they have a lot of time and some people like they have none at all. Very cool. 
And so as you were getting this research back, what are some of the misconceptions that you realize that people have about their time? Well, I think one interesting thing is you might assume that people who feel starved for time are maybe working around the clock, but that wasn't the case. The people who had the lowest time perception scores were really not working that much more than the average. So that's interesting to know. They were spending their leisure time, however, in different ways. So the people with the highest time perception scores uh, were more likely to be doing things like reading, exercising, reflective activities, or spending time with family and friends. Whereas people with low time perception scores were more likely to be watching TV or scrolling around online. And can you explain what you mean by low perception of time? So these are people that feel like they have no time? Yeah. So when I was asking everyone in the study questions about their time, I asked them all 13 questions anywhere on a scale from strongly disagree to strongly agree. So questions like, yesterday I felt present rather than distracted. So if you strongly agreed, you'd give yourself a seven for that. If you strongly disagreed, you give yourself a one. And various other questions along that about time, generally time yesterday. So then I could get scores that were very high versus scores that were very low. And I could separate out the top 20%, top bottom percent, top 3%, you know, all those. So the people with very high time perception scores were in the top 3%. People with very low time perception scores were in the bottom 3%. Um, Those who felt most like they were distracted, like they weren't happy about how they spent their time. They felt rushed. They felt like they didn't have time for things they wanted to do. So what are some ways that we can evaluate our time? Well, one of the best things you can do to get a better grip on your time is to figure out where your time is really going now. Whenever people say, you know, I want to spend my time better, I always suggest that they try tracking their time for a week because that will give them a good holistic perspective on their time and also give them data that they can work with. Because often the stories we have, they're the stories we tell and they're based on stressful moments or or something like that. But you know, by getting the data, we can see for sure where the time goes because we don't want to make changes without knowing if we're changing the right thing. It's always possible that something you thought was a problem really isn't. It's also possible that something you never even considered is taking a lot more time than you might have imagined. Uh, lots of people have those revelations once they track their time for a week. So track your time, see where it's going, and then you can decide to make whatever changes are called for by analyzing the data. So when you say track your time for a week, some of the immediate thoughts that I have is or excuses that people might have is I don't have time for anything, let alone time to track my time. Right. So do you have any tips or hacks for how to do this in maybe the least amount of time? Or or do you suggest like really just making sure you take one week to track your time and then go from there? Well, I've been tracking my time for um, over three years now continuously. Don't worry, your listeners are listening like, no, not that. No one else has to track their time for three years. I'm I'm a little bit intense on these things. But I've gotten it to the point where it really only takes me about three minutes a day, which is the same amount of time I've been brushing my teeth. So, you know, just a small daily healthy habit, more or less, that makes life better when you do it. So I use spreadsheets with it. Anyone listening to this wants to come to my website, you can get emailed one from my website if you want. It's in half hour blocks, the ones I use. And I really just check in like three times a day. So maybe around lunchtime, around the time I'm done with work in the evening, and then before going to bed. And I'll just write down what I've been doing in the slots on my spreadsheet since I last checked in. And I'm not trying to get every five minute thing. I'm, you know, I'm not recording every bathroom break. I'm not recording every time I get up to get a glass of water or anything like that. Just roughly, what was I doing during that time? So it can be broad categories, work, you know, drive somewhere, hang out with kids, eating breakfast, cleaning the kitchen, you know, watching TV, whatever it is. 
Because the point is more to get a good sense of where the time is going. The point is not to get a perfect sense of where the time is going. So be okay with rough ideas, but it's really more about consistency. And if you can stick with it, even you know, for a day or two is great. A week is better, but try it for a day or two. If you get through that, that's great. Let me try another day. You know, just take it one day at a time. But I promise you, if you can get through a week, it will be eye-opening. I, I still learn new things all the time about where my time goes, and I have been doing this for a long time. So why is it so important for us to be mindful of our time? Well, the thing about time is it keeps passing whether we think about how we are spending it or not. And so that makes it very difficult to direct it wisely. You know, you're in a canoe in the middle of a stream. It's kind of hard to see where you're going. You're just going with the rapids. So being mindful about it is, is doing as much as you can to sort of get over to the side for a little bit, survey the course, see where you'd like to direct your craft as you're coming into these upcoming rapids and things like that. With my time diary study for Off the Clock, I found that people who felt like they had the most time were highly likely to engage in what I call reflective activities. So those are things like meditating, journaling, praying, just anything that has you pause and think about your life, this sort of planning and you know, taking it all in, pondering what you're doing. They engage in these activities. The top people engage in these activities multiple times per week, whereas the people who felt like they had the least time about half never did these activities, right? And the ones who did, it was very low, like maybe once a week. Again, these were all equivalently busy people. It doesn't take any amount of time to like write for five minutes in a journal or to take five minutes to look at your schedule and see what's coming up and ask what you'd like to do. These things don't take a lot of time. It's just when you do choose to do them, it gives you an entirely different perspective on your time. You're no longer just rolling with it. You can roll with it at times, but you're also thinking about how you'd like that rolling to go. As we're looking at our time tracking sheets and and we see our different commitments, how can we really determine whether a commitment is a burden or a benefit? I think a big chunk of this is how you feel about it. Do you feel energized as you see it on your calendar coming up? Um, When you're doing it, do you feel like you're doing something worthwhile and satisfying that it's meaningful for yourself or the people you care about? Because life is kind of short for doing too much stuff that we don't at least in some way see as meaningful Uh, That doesn't mean that every second of it is going to be fun. Many of the things that have the most meaning for us are often things that have moments of not fun. But in the long run, um, they, they do add joy and meaning to our lives. You might think about something like playing a musical instrument. Probably sitting down to practice is not immediately blissful in the way that turning on the TV might be. But once you start practicing, you start getting into it and you start feeling better about it as the song starts sounding better. And certainly as you're performing, that can be a complete wonderful, joyous experience. So keeping your eye on the long-term goal, is it is it something that adds joy and meaning to your life and the lives of people you care about? And if so, then it's probably a good use of time. It's a good commitment. If it doesn't, if you find yourself dreading it and not from the sense of dreading because, oh, it's getting me outside my comfort zone, maybe it's a little bit more challenging, not that dreading. I'm talking about dreading like this is not really how I see myself spending my time in my life broadly. I'm going to be counting minutes during it hoping it's over, you know, trying not to do it again if I can get out of it. Those are signs that it's probably something that needs to go. And it, it may not be something you can get rid of immediately, but I think a lot of life can be changed when we take sort of a three to six month perspective. Definitely over the next six months, you could make a lot of changes to your life if you felt like you wanted to. So as like a young professional, a millennial, I think in the workplace, we're often approached with some of more of the grunt work, I would say. So do you have any tips on how to say no and like some some guidance on how to say no politely? Yeah, and I, I'm not one of those people who thinks you have to do everything the first 
few years of your career because the truth is you don't. And sometimes when you get too busy doing stuff that you don't want to do or isn't leading anywhere, you don't have time for thinking about those bigger aspirations and making time for those. Broadly, early in your career, what you want to be doing is learning skills and you want to be meeting people. And so, you know, looking at this task that you're doing, the first thing is say, well, is it something that I can see how I could learn a skill by doing it? Because even if something's a grunt, you could definitely focus on the skill development aspect of it. Maybe it's about getting better at your writing. Maybe it's getting better at, you know, organizing information quickly. Maybe it's getting better about making phone calls to difficult people, right? That's a sort of grunt work that often happens. So focus on the skills. And if you can see a skill, then yeah, of course, that's good. Also people, if you are getting a chance to work with someone who is good for you to be working with, then it doesn't necessarily even matter what the work is. Like you want to take on anything that you can in order to make sure that that relationship gets developed. Now, if it's not something like that, One of the best things you can do, you can always talk with your managers and the people who are higher above you at work and ask them for help, right? That's how you do it. Like, I have these things on my plate and you're giving me this. I would like your help in prioritizing what you think would be the best thing for me to be doing and when all of these things should be done. Like, please help me understand what would be the best timeline for all of these, which is pretty good for if you've got a rational boss. They're not going to take you away from something that is adding, you know, money to the bottom line to do something that isn't, right? Like, that's just not what people do if they are in any way rational about it. So that conversation can help make them clear on on what you have on your plate um, so that it's making sure that your time is devoted to the things that are the best use of it. You can also be good about suggesting things that you want to do. One of the best ways to make sure that you spend more time on the things that you do want to do is to proactively bring them up. Be like, I had this idea. I know that you said this was very important in our last meeting. I wondered if I could spend a little bit of time looking at this issue. Uh, Again, if you have a boss who is in any way interested in people's skill and talent development, which hopefully you do, um, then that's the kind of conversation that managers love to have with employees, like people bringing ideas to them. That's, That's great. Now, if you do these things and your boss is just not into it at all, um, that's a sign that maybe in the next six to 12 months, you might want to start looking at some other. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They are in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that they can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who want to try LinkedIn ads. You can get $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. 
Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Young and profiters, as you may know, I launched my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass a little bit over a year ago. It was my first course. And so far, I've generated well over $500,000. And the best part is I didn't have to figure out how to set up my mastermind subscriptions, how to do abandoned cart targeting and all of that tech geeky stuff. I just left that all to Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And if you're in that, I need to sell more with less stage, Shopify magic is your AI superpowered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell anything, anywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to the other options out there. It's no wonder Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, including huge global brands like Allbirds and Thrive Cosmetics. It took me a day to set up my Shopify store. I set up chat, took two minutes, and I was done. One month from thinking of the idea to implementation, a year later, I've made half a million dollars on the idea. That's what it takes in 2024, just a good idea. And then utilizing a platform like Shopify that can help you make it a reality. There is no excuse these days. If you've got a good business idea and you think you'll be a good entrepreneur, you don't have to wait any longer. You don't have to be super techie. And you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash profiting. Young and profiters, I'm about to be jet setting all over the world. I'm going to London, Cancun, New Orleans, and New York to speak. I'm going to be up there with the bright lights and I want to be spiffy. I want to look fresh. And so I'm going on a big shopping spree. I got to get clothes. I got to get hair stuff, skincare stuff, makeup. But I'm not going to feel guilty about this shopping spree because Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Rakuten is the shopping platform for savvy savers. From May 6th to May 13th, they're having their biggest cashback event of the year. I'm talking about 15% cashback at hundreds of stores with additional cashback bonuses. And they've got so many stores participating in their big give week. So when it comes to clothes, I'm looking at Splendid and Good American. And when it comes to beauty, they've got so many good stores participating. They've got Ulta, Fenty, Bobby Brown, Blue Mercury, and all the products that we love, now we can get cash back. It's like getting a discount on the stuff you're going to buy anyway. It's absolutely amazing. They even have travel brands. So that's going to be super convenient for me with all my upcoming trips. Expedia, Hotels.com. You can get deals on everything from electronics to home goods to travel and beauty. Young and profiters, you're going to want to grab this limited time deal with both hands. You get high cash back rates for only eight days. So hurry, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app at R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. 
And as you were looking at your research, evaluating your research, did you notice any themes with time suckers? And is there any time suckers that we should look out for when it comes to our schedule and the way that we spend our time? There are a couple of um, time sucks that are, are, you know, sort of universal for people who have kind of in the office jobs. Email is obviously a big one. Email will expand to fill all available space. So if you start your day with email and be like, oh, I'll get to the real work once I'm done with cleaning out my inbox. Well, you'll, you'll never have a cleaned out inbox and you'll never get to the other stuff. So what you generally are best off doing the important stuff first and having email fit within the small spaces around that, because that means that you're not giving it your best time. The only way to spend less time on email is to choose to give it less time. There is no hack that makes it smaller. And in fact, you know, people who I've gotten to see a lot of time logs where people are attempting to get themselves down to inbox zero. And it basically never works because they're sending responses in order to, you know, clean out their inbox. They're responding to people and then people respond back. And so then it keeps filling back up like you you can't do it. So I I don't think that's really a worthy goal. The other thing, you know, at at the workplace that sucks a lot of time is is meetings, obviously. And meetings are particularly um, problematic because email tends to just waste your own time. Whereas a meeting, you can waste, you know, 10 people's time if you're all sitting in that room. That could be pretty expensive if you've got 10 people sitting in a room for a meeting that didn't really need to happen. There's also opportunity costs in the sense that, like, if you think about a 10 o'clock meeting, you're, you're going to stop doing most other deep work by like 9.45 to get ready. And then you go to it and then you come back to your desk and you sort of cycle through these transition rituals people have of email and websites they like to check. So you're not back at anything else until like 11.20 anyway. So it's, it's taken almost two hours for a one hour meeting. The other thing is all meetings seem to take 30 or 60 minutes, which why? Like, it seems improbable that all human stuff could occur in only 30 and 60 minute chunks. But that's that's just what the calendar says. So that's what we do. But like, it doesn't have to be. I encourage people to don't default to having a meeting. Um, see if you can, you know, do it quicker, just like a quick conversation, a phone call with somebody to get an answer. You don't necessarily have to schedule a meeting. You don't also have to accept a meeting. Um, you can push back and say, well, what's our agenda for this? Why are, you know, what, what should I be prepared coming into it? If the person can't answer that, then maybe it needs to be pushed forward or shrunk or done as a call or not happen. Because again, you're trying to be a good steward of everybody's time. How about time suckers in personal life? Yeah, I think the the biggest time suck in our personal life is, is, this sounds vague, but it's being unintentional about our time. I like to do some numbers for people that there's 168 hours in a week, right? So 24 times seven is 168 hours. If you work 40 hours a week and sleep eight hours a night, so that's 56 hours per week, that leaves 72 hours for other things. But people are like, there are. Like, where are those 72 hours? I, I mean, I'm working full time. I can't have any idea. I have no idea where any of those 72 hours are. But what it is, is people aren't being intentional about those 72 hours. And so it doesn't seem like it's almost twice as much time as they're spending at work. It, it seems like less than time that they're spending at work. So that's a lot of time that's passing without thinking about it. And it's spent on different things, puttering around the house, social media, TV, but not intentional TV, just surfing around or just, you know, being unclear what's going on. So you go back and forth to different things. If you set a few intentions of what you want to do in your personal life, so maybe one thing in the evening that you would love to do, be it, you know, read a hundred pages in a book or call a good friend or meet friends for drinks on the weekend, maybe set three things that you really want to do. Go to an art museum, go for a bike ride with a friend, go to worship services or volunteer somewhere. Your personal time will actually start to feel like it is more vast because you are spending it more intentionally. 
And what would you say is a healthy breakdown for a young professional? So how should we spend our time? How many hours for sleeping, work, fun? Any advice? I mean, there's no good number, but different people have different aspirations. Certainly if you're in the point of life where you, you know, don't yet have a partner and children, you might be able to um, devote a few more hours to work, especially the things like learning skills and networking that will help you Um, be able to have a more reasonable life later when there are more people that you are caring for. I think in general, most people don't work more than 60 hours a week. People often think they do, but if you look at their long-term average, it tends to be under that. Um, They're remembering the longest weeks and then calling those typical in their heads, but they're not. It's just that it happens occasionally, and then that's what they remember. So, I mean, 60 uh, at work max, you know, sleeping seven to eight hours per night uh, when you average it over the whole week you're still leaving 50 to 60 hours for other things. Um, I've always thought that a good balanced life might be 56 hours for professional and professional related stuff, 56 hours for one's personal life, and then 56 hours for sleep and personal care. That's pretty much evenly split. And, you know, that would be a rather balanced life, even with fairly long work hours. Yeah, that sounds pretty nice. (laughs) So in your opinion, is it possible to expand or stretch time? Do I mean, not in the sense of getting more than 24 hours a day and 168 hours in a week, because we can't do that. However, time can feel more expansive if we make certain choices with it. One thing I found while um, having people track time for off the clock is that the people with the highest time perception scores were highly likely to have done something very memorable or adventurous with their time on the day that they tracked. So this was a normal March Monday that they kept track of, but one woman went to like salsa dancing lessons in the evening and somebody went to a big band concert. Somebody took their family to a movie on a Monday night, or even just like going for a walk after dinner with the family, just something that wasn't straight, you know, dinner TV bed, something that made the day seem a little bit different. And what's going on there is that often when we say, you know, where did the time go? What we're actually saying is I don't remember where the time went. And the reason we're saying that is that our time wasn't memorable. The more memory units we form of any given period of time, the more vast it seems in our recounting. If you think about like the first day of vacation, if you're traveling somewhere exotic, it seems like it's incredibly long because your brain is taking in all these new and different things. And you can't do that with every day of your life, but if you can at least have something in your life that is different and memorable about a day, then you're more likely to remember it. And that can make it feel like you have more time. And what kind of mind shifts do you recommend for for those who feel like they never have enough time? You know, obviously the first step we talked about is is tracking time because often people do have time. It's just they're spending it in ways they don't care about. And and once you see this, you can start trying to repurpose some time for, for things that are more exciting or meaningful. Uh, another thing you can do is try using little bits of time. Um, often we think we need big chunks of time in order to do fun stuff in our life, but that's not actually true. Like we have a lot of these sort of five minute chunks through the day while you're maybe waiting for a phone call to start or waiting for the bus. And most people just, you know, get out their phones and start cleaning out their inboxes during this time. But you can use those five minute chunks to like read eBooks, right? That's something you could do or listen to a favorite song or use that to meditate or journal or something like that. And if you do these things in small chunks of time, you start to notice them and you start to see how they add up. You know, one other thing that people who feel like they don't have any time in life, I often suggest, you know, try going to bed a little bit earlier and waking up a little bit earlier. Often the time before bed kind of gets away from us. We're, you know, watching TV. We didn't mean to watch. We're puttering around the house. We're on social media. 
if you can cut that off a little bit earlier, go to bed a little bit earlier, you might be able to wake up a little bit earlier. And morning for many people is their best, most focused time. And so if you get up a little bit earlier, suddenly you have this time in the morning that you can use for something that is important to you, whether it's exercise or reading or doing something creative, you know, but you have to sort of shift around your schedule to make that happen. And I know you already touched on this a bit, but any other practical tips on how we can make more time to spend on things that matter to us? So whether that's being healthy, like exercising or spending time with friends or, you know, making more money. One of the best things you can do is think through your weeks before you're actually in them. Because if you think through your weeks, then you can think about what you would like to be doing with your time. And you can plan those things in. So I tend to do this on Friday afternoons. On Friday afternoon, I will look at the week ahead. I will think about, well, what are my top professional priorities? What are my top relationship priorities? And what are my top personal priorities? Just a short list. I'm not talking like 80 things in each, you know, just a handful in each. But then I look at the calendar and I see roughly where those things can go. And I find that by listing these priorities and giving them a time, I vastly increase the chances that they are going to happen. And so I'd suggest, you know, other people might want to try this too. Think through the week ahead. Think about your priorities. Think roughly where they can go. And if you want to be like a real pro about this, you can try front-loading the week because stuff is going to come up. I mean, this is the nature of life. Stuff comes up. And if you're doing as much as possible toward the beginning of the week, then these emergencies have yet to arise. Or if emergencies do arise at the beginning of the week, there's probably a spot later in the week where you can put your priorities after, you know, that you still have time to get to them. Whereas if you've scheduled them all for Friday afternoon, well, you know, stuff's going to come up and then you won't have any time. So put it toward the beginning of the week and you vastly increase the chances that it happens. Young and profiters, Yap Media is growing so fast. I have 10 open roles just this month. In the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. That's why I let Indeed do a lot of this heavy lifting for me. Indeed is the powerful hiring platform where I can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed has things like skills assessments, where when we have specific roles, we can find an assessment that matches that role and we can make sure they have the skills that we need. Then I can focus on culture fit. I can make sure they're scrappy enough and are obsessed with excellence and do all the things that we need to do for them to fit in at YAP. And Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools like Instant Match. An Instant Match basically matches you with candidates as soon as you put up a job post with people who are qualified right away. It's instant. And the best part is it gets better as you use it. So now when I use Indeed, especially when I'm hiring for similar roles, I get people right away where they know that I'm gonna like the candidates because they can see what my preferences were in the past. It gets better as you use it. According to US Indeed data, the moment Indeed sponsors a job, over 80% of employers get candidates whose resumes are a perfect match for the position. It's like waving a magic wand that gets better as you use it. So I love using Indeed. We've found a lot of our A players on there. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who count on Indeed to hire their next superstar like we do at Yap Media. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash profiting. Offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 sponsored job credit at indeed.com slash profiting. Again, that's indeed.com slash profiting and support the show by saying you heard about it on Young and Profiting Podcast. Again, it's indeed.com slash profiting to get your $75 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Young and Profiters, we are all making money, but is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? 
putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You got to beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password. And then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff. Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance, the sponsor of today's episode. You can securely link up all of your investment accounts in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. How about outsourcing? When should we think about outsourcing our tasks and, and the things that we have to do? Yeah, well, whenever there's something that you think needs to get done, but it doesn't seem like it's the best use of your time, like you can see that it's taking you away from other things that you would rather be doing or is taking energy that you should be devoting to other things. And that might be a wise use of outsourcing or something that requires expertise and you really don't think it would be the best use of your time to learn. (laughs) So that, for instance, I, I have a podcast as well. And we have a great team that does production of it. It's something you can do. Lots of people have figured out how to do that. But I've realized it would be better for me to pay someone rather than to learn it. That's something that somebody else has built up the skill and has a business doing. So it's a a wise use of my money um, to not take that on. Very good. And this is a little bit off topic, but in a similar vein. So Some people feel like they have no time and they seem to be a little bit paranoid about their time. Well, I'm very optimistic about my time. I think I get a lot done. I'm super productive, you know, never had an issue with making a deadline or anything like that. But when it comes to physically having to be somewhere on time, I have a ton of trouble because I always think I can fit a million things in my schedule before that set time. Any advice on how to be a more prompt person and kind of be more realistic about your time? Yeah. The thing about being late is it often is this function of extreme optimism. I mean, people think it will take them 15 minutes to get somewhere because it did once. You know, most times they do it, it takes a lot more than 15 minutes, but they keep remembering that once and think that will happen again. Or, you know, they think like, oh, well, I have so much time, you know, I can do this other thing before I leave. And then, you know, the other thing takes longer than they thought it would too. And so then they're running really late. Again, tracking time is always good, but you know, it it keeps us from telling ourselves these stories about our time. Because if you think it takes you 20 minutes to get to work and yet it keeps taking you 40 day after day, well, that explains why you were always late to that nine o'clock meeting, right? Like it's pretty hard to look at this 40 minute chunk and a day after day and, and keep telling yourself that it takes 20 minutes, you know, so track your time, But if you don't want to track your time, just build in a buffer, add 15 minutes and maybe you'll be early. My guess is you won't because people who are chronically tardy just have such off estimates of how long it takes to do things that adding in 15 minutes is more likely to make them on time or only slightly late as opposed to very late. But, you know, if you can get in that habit of leaving 15 minutes before you think you need to, then over time that can start to get you places closer to when other people are expecting you to be there. 
Very cool. So Laura, where can people find out more about everything that you do? Yeah. So people can come visit my website, which is lauravandercam.com. Just my name. I hope people will check out my new book, which is Off the Clock, Feel Less Busy While Getting More Done. I have a couple other books on time management and productivity too. If you, you know, get through that one and want to come read the rest, find yourself with some extra time now that you've read the first. (laughs) So I hope people will check those out. Thanks for tuning in to Young and Profiting Podcast. I hope after listening to this episode, you treat your time with the same care and consideration you would your money. Instead of wasting it, be mindful, make it memorable, and strive to use your time wisely on the things that matter most to you. Follow Yap on Instagram at Young and Profiting and Twitter at Yap underscore podcast. And check us out on youngandprofiting.com. Thanks to our amazing production team, Timothy Tan, Daniel McFadder, Bobby Hughes, John Sparks, and AK. We've got some awesome interviews lined up for the near future, so be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform to always keep up with Yap. We'll catch you next time. This is Hala signing off.